Any advice or opinions offered on this program are meant as general suggestions, not advice specific to an individual child. Any choices that you make regarding your own child are completely at your own discretion. This episode is brought to you by The Recharged Family. The Recharged Family is a service network that focuses on providing free content and resources for parents and educators so that they can better support the kids in their lives who may be struggling in some capacity. The Recharged Family provides a wide variety of multimedia content with their Exhausted Educators podcast, Parents Recharged podcast, and the Recharged Family YouTube channel. They also help individual families through their service-based Holding On To Learning LLC, where they'll meet with you virtually to answer any school-based or outside agency-based questions, or just to provide families with some guidance on the next steps to help their child. The good news is, if your family can't pay for this service, you don't pay anything. And even if you can afford it, it's only a donation-based service, so you choose the amount that you'd like to donate. To learn more about the Recharge Family Services or to support the Recharge Family mission, go to rechargedfamily.com or follow the Recharge Family on Instagram or Twitter at Recharge Family. Remember, you can do your part too in helping more families and educators get access to the Recharge Family information and resources by subscribing wherever you watch or listen to the Recharge Family content. Isn't it time to get the child in your life back on track with the support that they deserve? You can do that by going to rechargefamily.com. This is a Holding Out to Learning LLC production. Hit it! The ideas expressed on this show are not the views of their employer. Besides, if you really want to take advice from this guy, well, you should probably do it at your own risk. You better turn right back around because here comes the short bob dude from the Parents Recharge Show. What is going on, education heroes and fellow parents? Yep. For the first time ever, we are pushing out an episode to both of our Recharged Family podcasts, The Exhausted Educator Show and The Parents Recharge Show. And the reason? It's because of our amazing guest. Now, I know very well that normally on The Parents Recharge Show, it's just me giving you varied information about specific topics that will help your child who might be struggling in some capacity, but we're making an exception to that rule today. Because this guest resonates for educators and also for parents. And wait till you hear him. He's amazing. We'll get to him in just a minute. But first, I do need to share real quick something that I've learned in the last couple weeks. If you have reached out to me by email through rechargecommunity at gmail.com and you have not heard back from me, I'm going to apologize. It's not because I'm ghosting you or I'm purposely ignoring you. I actually found one or two emails this last week that ended up in my spam folder. So I wanted to let you know, if you email me and you don't hear back from me in a couple days, do me a favor. You can always go on to rechargedfamily.com and find my actual business cell number and send me a text or leave me a voicemail. That way I'll be sure to hear your information and get back to you. So I just wanted to let you know if you've contacted me and I haven't gotten back to you, it's not on purpose. I will do a better job of checking my spam folder in days to come. But in the meantime, remember, you can always hook up with me. My cell, my business cell is on rechargefamily.com. 
it's listed under holding on to learning, which is the platform where I jump on a Zoom with families and answer any kinds of education questions. There are no silly questions. And I also maybe give them some information about outside sources, and it's all for free. It's a free service. We're not asking for any extra money. We just provide this for free. We do have some families who donate to the cause, the recharged family cause, and that's fine, but we're not going to charge you for it. And if you're an educator, remember, if you there's families who need a little bit of information about anything education-wise, IEPs, 504s, services that are available, whatever it is that might help a child who's struggling in some capacity, you can feel free to turn them onto our website so that they can find the resources that they need. Let me take a minute and tell you all about our amazing guest that we have on today. He is unbelievable. And his work that he's been doing goes back decades. He's really well known. He's a New York Times bestselling author. And he's put out so many books through the years. A lot of it working with boys and girls and learning preferences and understanding their brains There's so much content that he has put out through the years. It is mind-blowing. Now, I'll tell you, he is the founder of the Gurian Institute. And not only has he produced so many books through the years, his group, his foundation, has done so much of this work directly with families, directly with educators, so that everybody can get on board with understanding how boys best learn, how girls best learn. And also, specific to our topic today of boys, looking at boys' behavior and understanding boys' behaviors. He has put out so many books. Like I said, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Here's a couple. Got it all started off decades ago with The Wonder of Boys. He's also the author of Boys and Girls Learn Differently, The Minds of Boys, Strategies for Teaching Boys and Girls, and many, many, many more. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. Let me have an honesty moment here. I was totally fanboying during this interview. (laughs) And let me tell you why. I've been an enormous fan of Mike Gurian for a long time. Years ago, if you don't know already, uh, I did 19 years as an elementary school teacher working with general education students and special education students. And one year, I had my principal come to me and say, would you mind putting together a professional development for our staff and just sharing with them, you know, what you do with the boys in your classroom? And I I laughed. I said, I'll be happy to help you out. Well, I have no idea what I do with boys. He's like, you know, how you understand boys. And he said, think of it this way. The way that you perceive boy behaviors is a little bit different than some other people on our staff. I said, huh, okay. Let me think about that, and let me see what I can pull together for the staff. And I had some ideas. Like, when I looked at behaviors of boys on recess, for example, you know, I kind of understood why they might be wrestling, or they might be pushing each other around. It wasn't really in violent terms. It was just boys screwing around. And for me, I would always think, well, it's boys being boys. I've been there. I, I remember what that was like as a kid. Others might look at those behaviors, though, and be appalled because, oh my goodness, we can't do that out here. Somebody's going to get hurt. And that's true. However, when I wanted to relay the information to the staff about why these things could be happening, I didn't have any answers. And so I went searching. 
And luckily for me, I stumbled upon Michael Gurian. And whether it was reading his content, his books, or watching videos, I was soaking it up like crazy. And I have been soaking it up ever since. And I've been lucky enough to share a lot of the things that I've learned from him and some other resources through the years to many people throughout the district that I work with. But I will tell you, a lot of what I have learned through the years comes right back to Mike Gurian. And so this interview was super special to me because never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would have a conversation with this guy. I know you're going to love it. He's such an unbelievable person. He dives into brain development and what to expect and what you can learn about boys in particular. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm super excited to share this interview with you. Here is Dr. Michael Gurry. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an absolute pleasure, to be honest with you, an absolute honor to have Dr. Michael Gurian with us today, who uh, I admire for all his amazing work. And I can't wait to get into some of this in our conversation today. Mike, thank you so much for jumping on with me. Thank you, Kyle. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> uh, could you just you know, kind of summarize for everybody in case they aren't sure of your, in case they haven't heard of your work before, uh, you know, where you were at, you know, decades ago when you started your work to what, all the way up to what you're doing now? Yeah. Yeah, I... Um... I started, I think I started getting a sense of what I was going to do by uh, back in college and grad school. Back then, this is in the 70s and 80s, you know, the conversation, if sex or gender or anything, boy, girl, anything came up, it was all everything socialized, right? I mean, and that's actually a lot of people still are saying that now, but uh, everything socialized. And But I had lived overseas. My parents were academics and also in the foreign service. And uh, I had lived overseas, and even when I didn't speak the language, the boys were playing with boys immediately, right? And girls were playing with girls immediately. So there was some, I knew there was something going on, but we didn't have scans yet, so uh, brain scans. So I was just kind of putting things together. Starting in the late 80s, early 90s, brain scans became available. So now we can look at scans of male and female brains and see how differently they operate. So... I started developing theory around that. And as you know, that got into various places, corporate, uh, parenting, education, psychology. And so probably connected to what we're doing today is education. So about 25 years ago, the Gurian Institute formed, which in which we train trainers to take, you know, all of this research and all of these strategies and et cetera, and to take them into, uh, into schools. And we did two-year pilot at University of Missouri, Kansas City, six school districts. This is in the late 90s. And um, proved that if teachers and everyone in the community understand how boys and girls learn differently, that test scores go up for both boys and girls, grades go up for both boys and girls, discipline referrals go down, violence goes down, you know, so bullying goes down, uh, you know, so that's kind of where my devotion is in, in the education sphere. And, and we're still doing that. The Green Institute is still operating and quite a bit and doing a lot of that work. And you're doing amazing work. And as I, I said prior to officially recording here is that, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for your work because it led me as somebody who wanted to be able to provide information to a staff or now at the district level about uh, working with boys and best practices and working with boys. Uh, you could really 
given me some things to think about that I hadn't thought about before, whether it be you know, brain-oriented kinds of, of material and content that you provided, but also you kind of gave me some verbiage and vocabulary around some of the things that I'd been thinking about, and I hadn't seen that before. So I wanted to thank you uh, on the mm-hmm. podcast for that. And also, before I jump in, I want, I want to congratulate you. you, by the way. Uh, 32 books. Is that right? 32 yeah. books. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I have a, I have a writing disorder. I can't <laughs> stop writing. Oh, don't uh, stop. But that is over 30 some years. So <laughs> it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's incredible though. And you're, you, the, the things you put it, push out are just amazing. And congratulations on your podcast, Wonder of Parenting, which is awesome. Uh, wrapping over four years now. Yeah, over four years, uh, I think we're around 2 million downloads, around 20,000 downloads a week. So um, I think the word of mouth has spread. I think people like, I think, I, I don't really know, truthfully, but I think people do like a brain-based approach, yep. um, you know, and and we are very science-oriented and brain-based. So uh, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't think it would last this long. You know, when <laughs> Tim Wright said, let's do this podcast. I said, oh, okay, what's a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, about five, four years ago. But uh, it's really fun, and it's such a great way to reach people. As you know from this wonderful podcast you have, it's a great way to reach people. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. In four years, that is that is something to 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 not sneeze at, boy. It's a, it's impressive, and I love it, by the way. Um, so for any parents out there, I'd highly suggest Wonder of Parenting, and I'll I'll put all of his information on podcast also with um, links to books and so forth down in the show notes. So I I did want to wish you congratulations on all those amazing feats, but I brought you on you. um because I want to dive into working with boys. But before we get there, you've done so many, so many amazing things in a variety of areas revolving around gender-based kinds of ideas. Could you just kind of dive in real quick uh, about learning differences between boys and girls? Yeah. Yeah. um, This is probably a big thing. You know, I'll give you like four or five that are huge that, that because none of us are taught this in grad school, none of us see these brain scans in grad school, right? So we don't know, or undergrad or teacher certification. We're not taught this. There are all sorts of political reasons for that. So we're not taught that. So we don't know. Like, for instance, that multiple times per day, the male brain, the boys, their brains will go into a rest state. So if they're not moving around or stimulated, their brains go into a rest state, and most of the learning parts of the brain go completely blank. Uh, But the female brain has no similar rest state. So their brains are always active. And so, um, so that's a learning difference that's crucial. And it's why we, in our pilots and so on, we're always getting the teachers, okay, make sure you're moving around, teacher. Make sure the kids, you know, who need it are moving around brain break or whatever every 20 minutes, uh, not the sit and get, because, you know, that's part of why boys are getting 70% of the Ds in our, and Fs in our schools is the sit and get, you know, just sit here for 50 minutes. That, not good. Going to lose five boys in a classroom of 25. So... Um, so that, and then part of why the female brain is so active is that the female brain uses up to 10 times more white matter activity. And that's, that's all through the myelin. So that's connecting dots everywhere in the brain. It's constant stimulation, one end of the brain to the other. Male brain operates out of seven times more gray matter activity. Gray matter is in specific splotches. So the same task that males will do in one part of the brain, females might do in five. And, and that's part of why we have we come to some different conclusions, but it's also why um, we gotta, we got to get that gray matter area stimulated in boys and realize they don't do as much white matter activity. And so this is something, especially at the elementary level, 
teachers have an aha about that and they realize, oh my gosh, I have set up my classroom around the female brain. Yep. You know, there's worksheets all the time. There's all this constant multitasking and all that. Well, boys can hardly even get organized, you know, mm -hmm. so we got to hit them in the gray matter area. And, and those are just a couple. Um, oh, I'll give a third one, which is the word use. Um, females do words on bo both sides of the brain and connect words to feelings and words to emotions, senses, uh, colors, all those things on both sides of the brain. Males are only mainly or only doing it on the left and mainly in the front left. So we have less connectivity for words than females do. So when teachers, especially in the younger grades, when they say, use your words, you know, the boy does something that's sort of touch attachment or tactile or, or he pushes someone really out of, it's how he's bonding, but but we're not trained in this. So the teachers don't realize this and they say, oh no, don't do that, use your words. And of course, boys are gonna fail more at that because they don't have as much access to words. Yeah. They are more kinesthetic and physical. So I would say those are three kind of large differences. Good, yeah, and very important ones too. You know, language development in, in boys in general seems to be a real challenge uh, at the at all ages, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. but definitely yep. at the elementary level, boy, that, it's, a, it's a real challenge. Can you want to dive into maybe just some other general challenges that boys might face in school environments? Yeah, well, let's look at the the language. So the male brain is about a year and a half behind in the aggregate. So on average, about a year and a half behind the female brain in language acquisition, in word use and word production. You know, um, it can be two to three years behind the female in organization. So like a big, so obviously words are a challenge. Males aren't reading as much. They're not doing as much of the homework at home that's word oriented. You know, there's all sorts of stuff around words where they're underperforming. They're not writing as much. They're not writing with, with as much sensorial detail. They're, you know, they're getting worse grades. They're getting D's and F's um, in writing. And, and one of the things we discovered in our research is that if we give them, uh, if we give them visual stimulants, so like graphic organizers, so we we train all everyone in our groups. We're training and using graphic organizers because that's picture, and then have them draw before they write. Have them draw on a storyboard for half an hour before they write, because on the left side of the male brain they're doing words, but on the right side uh, they're doing visual spatials or what we call spatial mechanicals, visual graphics. So visual graphic is like seeing right pictures, seeing it. And spatial mechanical is objects moving through space. So when the a big learning challenge they have is that when a classroom is set up very much around words, um, and not set up to be kinesthetic, spatial, mechanical, visual, we're gonna again lose a lot of guys because what it means is they can't compete. Like one in five guys can compete with the average girl in the classroom in terms of word use. Guys like me who started reading at four. Uh, it's a, it's definitely a strength area for me. I've written 32 books. So, but I'm the exception that proves the rule. I'm the one in five exception rate. So four out of five times, the guy is not going to compete well with girls in the aggregate, and he's not going to produce as many words, et cetera, unless we can help him get stimulated graphically and visually or spatially throwing an object back and forth, squeeze balls, that kind of thing. And, and or um, uh, graphic organizers for organization, which are, pictures, right? If we give them those, now some of these learning challenges we've dealt with. And if we consistently use these strategies, but if we don't, all those are learning challenges. Organization, word use, sensorial detail, all of that stuff, literacy, reading, writing become challenges for a lot of boys, not all, but for a lot. Yeah. You've hit on a lot of really good things here. So 
obviously the importance of kinesthetic movement uh, for for boys is just mm. you know a huge a huge piece of the puzzle. Do you have any any other further advice for from an educational standpoint for teachers or paraprofessionals who work with students or administrators? Just any general advice that you you would offer up specific to working with boys besides what you've already shared? Yeah, the most important thing I can tell you the most important thing is is training because the teachers are already really smart, right? Every teacher is really smart. Um, every para is really smart, right? They really are very, very smart. They're all very professional. What they haven't been given is training in male-female brain difference. And of course, and of course, what are we teaching but the brain, right? If we're in education, we're teaching the brain, just like I'm also a therapist. Who am I? What am I taking care of in my therapy office, right? I'm taking care of the brain. So I got to know about the brain. And um, it, what we have found is that when the teachers themselves get trained in nature, nurture, and culture, all the aspects of, of male development, female development, when they get trained in it, they themselves very smartly start redoing their classrooms. So people ask me, what's the most important thing? The most important thing is these people who are already professionals get training and it just makes them better. And so, for instance, a lot of teachers will, you know, the, and the training is, you can do some in a day, but it's generally like it goes on for a while and you're checking back in with schools and you, you know, we do contracts where we're doing observation feedback and giving training, various visits and so on. And the data at the end of the year, you know, is, is quite, it's on GurianInstitute.com. A lot of the school districts are right there. Their data is right there. What happens? And it happens because the teachers change things. And they realize that they don't, it's not a new curriculum. So they don't have to learn a new curriculum. All they're doing is they're getting aspects of teacher effectiveness that in some ways they intuited before, but they didn't have the science to implement or they didn't have the support in the school um, or, in the, or in the family systems, the community, because the communities support these things too, the parents. They didn't have that before. Now they have it and, and they get trained. And so they alter things and they work in teams to alter things. Uh, the counselors get involved and, you know, the, everything just at, in the school improves vastly. Um, so <clears throat> that is, at least we can prove from a science-based standpoint, that's the thing that's most effective. Get them trained. Yeah. And that obviously is a, a big focus of the Gurian Institute. Are you, are you doing work also with, um, you know, on the girls' side as well? We talk about learning oh, yeah. differences. I, that, correct. You're doing a lot of work as yep. far as you know, working with girls too, is, is that kind of embedded into your training? Yeah. Our training is generally like if it's a boys school, they just want the, the helping boys thrive or minds of boys training. So obviously that's just on boys, but even that we do comparative brain analysis to show how male and female brain differ. Um, but, but, and most of our training is of course in co-ed spheres. And so it's uh, boys and girls learn differently or the minds of boys and girls. Those are just two trademark titles for, you know, these programs. And so we're going into female brain, male brain, everything we're looking at, you know, there are certain areas of like, like math science teachers, we really very young, we, we're helping them to alter the way they teach so that they're teaching these things to the female brain and understanding how the, how female brain does things and how male brain does things. And, and so like girls day, girls only day in the block corner. This is a great illustration. I think everyone will get, let's say we're looking at second graders and we want to help. We're thinking girls in STEM, right? So we're thinking we want to help these girls to compete in these areas where we know male brain already competes really well. 
right? Like mechanical engineering, these sorts of things. Well, we, we need to give them a climate and an atmosphere to play with blocks, which are spatial objects, to play with blocks with, for a while without the boys there. Because when females play with blocks and males play with blocks, it's different. Males build up really fast and they knock them down and build up really fast. And if she's, and girls do it slower, they tend to be more horizontal than vertical. They do it slower, but they build these really amazing structures. Well, if the guys are involved, the guys knock, knock them down. <laughs> you know, they play. <laughs> they're just like objects, they're knocking them down. And, but if the girls have girls only time for 15 minutes, half hour, then they get to focus on block play, which develops the spatials. And in order to be good at science later, uh, especially engineering, architecture, you have to develop these spatials early. And uh, so, so girls don't naturally develop them as early as boys do. And we want girls to do that. So we alter somewhat the way we teach to get that to happen. So that's an illustration of, of something there. That's, that's and girl great. drama is another one. Right. Anything having to do with girls and relationships, we do a lot of training in that because that, you know, those are like the most asked questions right. <laughs> and we have all the science on it. So, you know, that's another one. <laughs> Speaking of uh, like most asked questions, do, do you get all, do you get asked about like boys aggressive behavior quite often? Yep. And I was just right. going to say, and, and that would, the term aggression nurturance is something that, that popped up. And, uh, when I was looking at a lot of your material and I was like, well, I finally have like some verbiage to go along with something that I've been thinking about for quite some time. Yeah. Could you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. We compare, um, aggression nurturance to empathy nurturance or direct empathy nurturance. Uh, sometimes these things are called challenge and coercive nurturance, uh, versus pro-social nurturance. So, these are all different terms for, and I, I just use the terms aggression nurturance and empathy nurturance. So there's a part of the brain, the, the insula is where mirror neurons happen. And um, when someone is being empathic to someone else, they have to have those mirror neurons flashing and they have to fill up this, this insula fills up with these mirror neurons. Well, males and females are different in that way. Testosterone tends to kill off mirror neurons. So uh, whereas oxytocin, which is a female dominant chemical, tends to build more mirror neurons. And so I realized, you know, quite early on, about 30 years ago in classroom observations and, and therapy clients, you know, I was initially doing observations, then I added the brain research on, it was very clear to me that males and females were both equally nurturing, but they nurture in different ways. And while there is crossover, obviously a female could use aggression nurturance, a boy could use empathy nurturance, of course that happens, but there are these biological patterns. So that's what I'm getting at with aggression nurturance. And when you see kids play a game, like 10 year olds play a game and you know one of them falls down, you're much more likely to see a girl, even if she's on the other side, you're not on this guy's team or this gal's team to come over and say, are you okay? Do you need a bandaid? You know, because her mirror neurons fill up and oxytocin fills up this bonding chemical and she goes over and that's empathy nurturance. Uh, you're more likely to see a guy uh, unless the fallen child is really, really hurt in which everything will stop. But if the fallen child is not really hurt, you're likely to see a guy say, ah, come on, get up, get up. We need you. And, and he's not saying, he's not saying, um, you know, boys don't cry or you wuss or whatever. That's not what he's saying. He's very, it's very wise leadership, actually. Uh, he's saying, get up, get up, we need you. Because he's saying, you know, your self-esteem is going to be better if you can be part of the team, if you can uh, fulfill the goal, if you can be resilient. All of these, which are social emotional things, we do want to teach kids. But he teaches it in his way, with more aggression nurturance. Be more aggressive. 
Use the aggression game in which to develop yourself because they're playing a game, flag football or whatever it is. Use the aggression game. Be more aggressive. And uh, I'll be more aggressive with you too. Get up, right? All that's aggressive, but it's really nurturing. And um, and I'll, sometimes people will say, well, wait a minute. You know, I don't think that's nurturing. <laughs> uh, and I'll say, well, okay, but think about this. What is it? What is one of our primary goals as adults to develop in our children? And resilience is a primary goal. That's a primary piece of social emotional development that we want uh, uh, to nurture. And um, males and females are both nurturing it in different ways, right? He's nurturing it in his way. She's nurturing resilience by saying, do you need anything? I'm going to get you a Band-Aid. You're going to feel better. You'll be more resilient. She's doing that. Absolutely. But so is he. And um, if that's our goal, if one of our goals is resilience, then aggression nurturance is, is really a great thing. And I have for a long time said, I think we don't understand it. I think every female teacher I've talked to agrees with this, will say, yeah, we as a female community don't understand aggression nurturance very well. And so we try to shut off things. So it's like pre-training and post-training. Pre-training, they report that they're shutting off stuff that's really what I would call aggression nurturance, like karate kicks on a playground or knocking kids over or bopping people in a line or grabbing people and hugging them hard and all that. That's all aggression nurturance. It's kinesthetic. It's tactile. It's what we call in the psych trade touch attachment, but it's more aggressive touch attachment, right? Than a lot of the teachers thought they wanted. Right. But after they go through this training, you know, and then they notice, oh my gosh, look, the boys are doing better and there's no harm to the girls. And, you know, they're not getting in trouble as much. And, Oh, then they just really buy in and they say, wow, this aggression nurturance, this, this is pretty good, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it, but it takes some training because the mindset is, well, that wasn't empathic and that does harm that will become violence. So that's why we have to stop them from touching or doing anything because it'll be violence. And in fact, just the opposite is true. The more they learn the boundaries of aggression nurturance, the less likely they will be to become violent hmm. because violent violence is a disease. That's not aggression. That's violence. That's a different thing. It, that's great stuff. It's great stuff. And it is a, a different outlook, I think, that, that so many educators need to hear. And I honestly believe, this is what I want to head next real quick, uh, just parents in general, caregivers in general also need to be well aware. And I think you all, you in general, just, you do um, some work with families as well. Thinking in terms of, you know, getting boys ready for school, as we're going to push this out on, on our other podcast, The Parents Recharge Show, as well, for families, do you have anything specific you would offer up for them as advice, you know, getting your boys ready ready to, uh, to head to school? Yeah, I'm going to do this, give it in three angles. One angle is going to be for the parents and, and the parents of boys, because uh, is usually where the need comes in, to just really look at the school and see if people know in the school kind of some stuff about how boys learn, right? If that's even a conversation, um, that's number one. Number number two, if it is great, if it's not, then you know, then there's got to be a lot of talk from parents, including dads and everyone involved in extended family with these boys about, okay, you're yeah, you're going into a system that may not understand you, so you know, really pay attention to the rules because you could get in trouble for A, B, and C. So really prepare them for what what the boundaries are that are set. And then number three, when, when and if the boy, my son, starts to fail in that environment, then now these parents, you know, go in and 
politely meet with the principal and the teachers and you know this for like five or ten parents of boys and say okay okay look look at this look what's happened here this is a very smart guy there's these are five really smart boys but look they're getting d's you know and they're getting in this trouble and and but look that they're they're really smart and they're actually good guys so can we get some can we can we even fund some training for you all in this um and that's kind of the cycle preparing with with talk and to try to meet the rules and then if if these smart intelligent high character boys are not meeting the rules then going in and trying to have an intervention in the school i love the idea of parents advocating for specific things that their children need in schools and the idea of them advocating for you know learning systems or learning styles or brain-based uh, systems of learning because they know it would be effective, more effective for their child. It just makes sense. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Your work is fantastic. And, and you know, you're, to be honest with you, you're a trailblazer, an absolute trailblazer. Oh. You got the ball rolling back in the 90s and um, you've, you've just continued it on through all of the amazing things that you're, you've put out through the years. Can't thank you enough. If people want to connect with you yeah. or your group, the Gurian Institute, how do they, they go about doing that? Yeah, the easy thing there is gurianinstitute.com. So G-U-R-I-A-N institute.com because that's kind of the mothership website. And, um, you know, a lot of other thing connect, things connect to that website. Uh, for more on me personally, they can go to michaelgurian.com. The books are there. You know, they can go on Amazon. The latest books are Saving Our Sons and the Minds of Girls. So those are the two latest with the science based for parents, for teachers. Um, and they're available sort of anywhere. Uh, uh, but I think if they're going to start somewhere, start at GurianInstitute.com and then kind of look at all that. That's great. And uh, like I said before, we'll have a variety of, of his information down in the show notes, along with the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a link to that. So you can check that out, too. Thanks again, Mike, for joining me. Awesome stuff from you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks, everyone. Mike Gurian is awesome, right? He is so intelligent, and he uses that intelligence to share so much information with so many people who need it, whether it be educators or parents guardians, people who are working with kids, people who need to know learning characteristics of boys or girls, people who need to know the behaviors of boys, as bizarre as they might seem, he helps to make sense of it. I can't thank him enough for coming on this podcast. And again, I would highly recommend you check out his podcast, The Wonder of Parenting, which is an enormously popular podcast among parent circles so much good information that he provides on that podcast. And speaking of good information, we're going to have his website down in the show notes. You can check it out there so you can link on to see any of the books that he's got. I'd highly suggest you check them out. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to thank you all for joining me on this podcast, whether you're coming at us from the Parents Recharge Show or the Exhausted Educator Show. Remember, you can always hook up with us at Recharged Family on Instagram and Twitter. You can email me at rechargedcommunity at gmail.com and check out all the work that we're doing with the Recharged Family at rechargedfamily.com so you can see our podcasts, our YouTube channel, 
and even our Holding On to Learning LLC, where we work with individual families. We do it all in hopes that we give back to people who need it so that we can support kids who need it. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, take care of yourself so you can take care of them, whether it be your students or whether it be your kids. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hope to see you again soon. Matter of fact, the only thing I do know is that most of the time I don't know. Dad, you're super cringy. Is your 9 or 10-year-old already starting to fill out their application for Harvard, Yale, or Oxford? Parenting is just flat-out messy sometimes. If you happen to like this stuff from the short bald dude, new episodes drop every other Thursday. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you think he's halfway decent, you can also rate and review. You can also send him some feedback too if you email him at researchcommunity at gmail.com. You can share ideas on future topics or just yell at him for his horrible sense of humor. We do it all the time. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. We'd like to give a shout out to Kevin McLeod for the use of his music. You can check out his information in the show notes below.